Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. And welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions for our critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Great to have you with us. And uh, for those that are just jumping out of the podcast, Happy New Year. Uh, we do this on a regular basis. You can catch us wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, we'll cover the issues and and your opinions and uh, your thoughts on some of the key things that are going on. Uh, to that end, as we look forward to 2024, it's a, it's a, a year with a great big question mark after it, uh, because we don't know. We've talked about the U.S. political situation. Uh, it looks like it's going to be Biden versus Trump, and what, how's that going to end? Uh, we don't know the Canadian politics. There's no scheduled election federally here in 2024, but that doesn't mean it can't happen. And uh, we'll certainly follow that. But there are major issues here happening globally that were front page news and they were things that politicians right around the world were talking about. Uh, that seems to have dimmed in the passage of time that seems to happen, I guess, with a lot of issues. And to put some perspective on this, we're so pleased to welcome back to the podcast, Elliot Tepper, who is a distinguished senior fellow and a professor of political science at Carleton University. Elliot, great to have you with us. Thanks for kicking off 2024 with us. Uh, I, I want to go back. I, I, I certainly want to get your, your read on what's happening with Gaza these days and, and the latest developments there. But let's swing back to something you and I started talking about, uh, well, over two years ago now, uh, that being the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're coming up February 24th, I think it is, will be the second anniversary of that invasion. We, As you reminded us before, that's not the first time that Russia set foot on, on Ukrainian soil. Uh, but it's it's lot, lasting an awful lot longer uh, than it probably should have and that a lot of people expected it to, to last. Uh, I know that just the other day, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau had a conversation with the uh, president and then basically said, uh, you know, we'll be there as long as it takes. I don't know if that's under their control. I mean, the way things are going right now on the battleground, uh, it seems as if the Russians have a foothold. There's some talk that you've heard and that I've heard over the last little while from some other world leaders uh, that are suggesting, look, at maybe we just better have a negotiated settlement. Right. Uh, Zelensky doesn't want any part of that. Talk to us about what you see and, and, and your perspective on sure. that. Well, first of all, a great way to start the new year is mm -hmm. starting it with you and starting it with this topic. Uh, you and I have been talking about it over a long period of time. And in fact, the anniversary, I think, of the invasion really started in January when Mr. Putin went to Beijing for the Olympics, ostensibly. But basically, he went to get China's backing for what would be the invasion, which nobody was expecting at that point, but mm -hmm. which he'd announced more or less. And uh, China said, sure, we'll back you up. They signed a big, long agreement. Uh, but sub Rosa, the real agreement was, we'll back you up, but don't, don't invade till our Olympics are over. Don't rain in our parade. So as soon as it was over, indeed, uh, the invasion began. That invasion was, as you reminded us just now, a follow-up to an earlier invasion. It wasn't the first time. 2014, Russia unprovoked uh, when there was no hint whatsoever that Ukraine could actually be either in EU or, more importantly, for Russia, U uh, NATO. But they attacked them anyway. Really, history returned, as we said at that point, where 70 years of international law, international practice and expectations were after the end of a second world war, which almost devastated the planet, it wasn't going to happen again. States weren't going to change national boundaries by invasion and occupation. And that was uh, the accepted norm. That was the United Nations Charter was built on the fact you do not change national sovereignty and borders by invasion. And Russia did that. And as we say, returning us to history, and we're living in that history now. The uh, 
quick re review on that. We talked about it, you and I, over time. Russia thought they would have a one-week war, Bill. They thought yeah. they would go in, plan A. Uh, they were going to go in. They were going to decapitate Kiev right away. They were going to install a puppet government, have a referendum. And in a week, Ukraine would be gone. Uh, the completion of the 2014 invasion would happen. Uh, we know that plan A didn't work. Plan B uh, was, okay, never mind that. Now what we're really after, our actual goal, our real goal, is to consolidate and take over the rest of the Donbass, which they had tried, had partial control of, and consolidate the control over Crimea. Plan B didn't work out either. We're in plan C of the Russian invasion. Uh, they are still at it, and we are... Uh, we are at a perilous point now where will war fatigue actually be what defeats Ukraine? And it seems to be going that way. And I'm not trying to suggest that the Russians are going to roll over them because we, we understand there are still some victories there uh, for Ukraine on the battlefield. And that and that's, that's good to know that that's still happening. But I guess what bothers me is uh, what's going on well, what happened two years ago in the official invasion in February of 2022, uh, the outrage, the global outrage from all circles, I mean, with the obvious exception of places like Iran and China and, and Russia, of course, uh, but, but you know, NATO nations, uh, the G7, the G20, uh, just lambasted uh, Putin and the Russians for doing this. Uh, and now that just it's not on anybody's radar. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to, if you picked up a newspaper or go online. No, I don't know if anybody buys newspapers anymore, but uh, to even see anything about this. Uh, and and the odd time that you do, I mean, I saw some coverage of one of the stories. Well, Kiev was attacked, of course, uh, uh, just last week again with uh, another shelling that caused extensive damage and loss of life. Uh, these are cities. You know, these are people that live in little mud huts someplace. These are major European cities that are being leveled. And, and we're outraged about Gaza because I guess that's the latest one. But it's still going on and has been going on for over two years in Ukraine. And not too many people are paying much attention to it now. Yes, and that's a real risk. In fact, that's the gamble that Mr. Putin is, uh, is basing his entire victory on. He's going for victory. He plans to eliminate the existence of Ukraine as a state and incorporated into, into uh, Russia, but also in doing so, changing the geopolitics of the world, bringing Russia right into the heart of Europe, Russian missiles, Russian tanks, Russian nuclear weapons potentially, and then perhaps continuing with what you just said, as nobody cares anymore, slowly but methodically taking apart uh, something that he helped create, a much more unified NATO, a much more unified EU. His invasion shocked him, I think, by creating basically a new reinvigorated EU and reinvigorated NATO, patiently he can dismember that and then move on to further conquest. So much rides on not allowing Mr. Putin to win in Ukraine that it is indeed imperative, and I'm pleased we're having this conversation, that we keep in mind that the geopolitics of the world, it's one of those things, pay now or pay later. And we should talk about the payment, how much it's costing. But what it means is that if Mr. Putin wins and China is backstopping him, the geopolitical situation of the world will go much, much darker for countries like Canada. Uh, I mean, we're talking the talk. I know that. The Prime Minister's comments to, to Zelensky just the other day, we're there for as long as it takes. And that's that's wonderful to hear. It looks great in print. Uh, and they've made a contribution. And, and I know there's a lot of criticism about what they've sent and what they could be doing in, in response to that. But I guess the other concern here is, like you say, 
the stated goals that hey Ukraine and Zelensky's comments when he addressed the UN and uh the well the the Canadian Parliament and others during some of these visits to North America was you've got to let us in NATO you've got to let us in there for our own protection and and, and it's the domino theory if we fall the the rest of them are going to fall we all know what Putin's long-term plan is here it, it's it, it's being delayed by about two years now but he's not going to give up on this and uh, Ukraine is key for him, isn't it, Elliot? He can't go to the next step or the next country until he gets this one settled. And now some of those people that seem adamant in their support for Zelensky are now starting to wane and say, look, maybe we need a mediated solution. Well, you know, any mediated solution is not going to say, okay, Russia, get out of there. They're going to take over part of Ukraine. Uh, they, they occupy a portion of it now. They want that or more. And, then, and Zelensky knows that. And I'm sure the people that are seemingly turning their back on this know that. But where where's the support for it at this stage? There is, in fact, a, a great deal of support for Ukraine. Uh, the messaging coming out of Moscow is we're winning this war, and they've got reason to show that because, hey, everything you just talked about is happening. You know, tension is wavering, and uh, domestic U.S. politics now becomes the key to whether Ukraine will indeed uh, fall to Putin, and the West's interest and Canada's interest will also therefore suffer. The entire situation right now is that we cannot allow the normalization of a big state just deciding to pummel its neighbor, destroy its neighbor, because they feel like it. This is Russian imperialism. We need to stop it. The idea that, yes, you know, we can't really see a victory path from Ukraine. We heard that on day one uh, when the U.S. offered Bill to send an airplane to <clears throat> take Zelensky out of the country. He said, no, don't send a ride, send ammunition. And we and we know what's happening. The U.S. is spending something like 4% of its military budget and maybe 1% of its GDP on Ukraine without losing a single American soldier, dismembering what was considered to be the second most powerful army in the world. This is a good deal for the West and absolutely uh, critical in terms of our geopolitical future. So uh, we cannot allow this. Uh, well, you know, you got to realize Ukraine is a small power compared to Russia. Russia is you know, much, much bigger. Uh, they, they've got far larger army. They've got many more resources. And that kind of conversation, well, Ukraine, we're not going to tell you what to do, but you really got to give up now. You've got to let Ukraine... Uh, um, lose Crimea to Russia. You've got to give up part of the Donbass. They're not saying that explicitly, but that's what it means. And then you can have peace. Well, well, we know better than that, don't we? Sure we do. And then, and I think that's the fear. <laughs> I mean, you know, as you mentioned to us on, on past visits, uh, we've seen this, this play before and we know how this ends. And we know that Putin, as you say, <clears throat> just like his buddy, uh, Donald Trump plays the long game. Uh, you know, okay, I'll take a few hits and a few body blows. I'll just throw more soldiers in there and pull them off the streets <laughs> in Moscow and then just put a uniform on them. And and that's that's what's starting to happen. But when you start hearing some of the comments uh, from Republicans south of the border, for instance, because they initially, of course, when they give this temporary measure to, the, to their financial problems, uh, they withheld the, the, the support for Ukraine in that. You've got our leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, uh, characterizing Ukraine as this this little country on the other side of the world, and why are we paying so much attention to that when we should be cutting the carbon tax? Uh, these are lives that are being lost, and it, yeah. even if you don't understand that, and I don't, I, I 
I hope the hell these people do understand that they don't understand the ramifications of this, that if you let this go, uh, you know, Putin keeps going and there's going to have an impact on our economy. I mean, we've already seen that uh, every time we talk about this God awful recession that we seem to be coming out of right now, uh, they say, well, the war in Ukraine was one of the contributing factors because of what it did to the global markets, et cetera. How much longer are we going to put up with this before we realize that we've got to do something about this to do something about that? Yes. Uh, it's always, I guess, human nature. You pay attention to the crisis of the moment, the yeah. issue of the moment, and also where we're directed. Don't look over here, look over there. And uh, Russia is a past master of that. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, uh, we have to realize that what is going on right now is Mr. Putin decided, well, he's plan A didn't work, plan B didn't work, plan C is going to work. He will outlast the West uh, and he can help that. Uh, what I think Mr. Putin is primarily counting on now is indeed war fatigue, but also watching U.S. politics, he is in position to affect whether Mr. Uh, Mr. Trump wins the next election or not. You may expect hybrid war, mis disinformation, misinformation, support uh, one way or another for Mr. Trump's return to power, but also for support for weakening resolve all across Europe so that he's openly now funding the most far right and far left forces inside Europe in order to slowly but surely dismember the EU in terms of its attitude toward what's going on. This is a game that's being played out in front of us, Bill, and we have to realize that's what's going on. And we have to say that Ukraine uh, not only should be rewarded for its bravery, but because they are fighting our fight for us just as President Zelensky has said here in our parliament. I hope this is not a scenario that we're ever going to have to face, but let's let's talk about the what if here. Uh, if if Putin is successful, and I, I don't necessarily know if that means Russian troops marching and planting the flag in downtown Kiev, but if he is, whether or not you know, there's a quote-unquote negotiated settlement and they end up with a lot more land, what does that do to NATO, uh, to, to, which was set up essentially to try to curtail this kind of behavior? It, it, it kind of puts them in the same category, I guess, as many people feel about the United Nations. Great intentions, but you guys don't have any backbone and nobody pays attention to what you say. NATO, is, is if they're not already going down that road, runs the risk of, of, of having that same accusation probably justifiably laid on them. Where are the NATO leaders here that are jumping up and down and saying we need to do something about this? Yes, we are, uh, as the Institute for Study of Wars put out, we are working against our own best self-interest. It's a, it's an own goal if we allow Mr. Putin just basically to outlast us and then to dismember the unity that he helped create. NATO is far more united now, and we have to remind ourselves Canada is an important player within NATO, within this conflict in particular, because we are supporting in Latvia a broad NATO reinforcement of the front line on the NATO states facing most imminently Russia. And... Uh, there's no doubt at all that if Mr. Putin succeeds, he will continue to try by all kinds of means to take apart the EU and NATO in terms of their ability to actually respond to further aggression. That's why it's, you know, pay now or pay later. It's not impossible you'll end up with NATO troops eventually having to confront Russian troops. Uh, we should stand back on another step as well. Uh, that's the, the nuclear issue, which you and I keep talking about. Yeah, Mr. Putin has shaped this war by threatening repeatedly. Uh, if you carry on like 
you know, you're going off against us. And he now is reformulating what he's up to in Ukraine. He's changed his position. Oh, denazify it. Now it's the West is after us. And, the, and he's got an election coming, which he's going to win. But he's consolidating anti-Western nationalist forces there. If he's allowed to uh, carry on in that fashion, then indeed, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and we have tripwire troops as part of a broader NATO exercise there. Will NATO be able to respond if it's weakened internally? This is the kind of great game we're talking about. This is not an idle, you know, it's way over there. That war is just going to go on. We have to remember that a major state is brutalizing, absolutely brutalizing a neighboring state just because it feels like it. Uh, this massive missile attack that has just occurred. Uh, Russia has just been attacking all across Ukraine, the largest uh, almost of the war so far. Ukraine is now, uh, we should stand back a bit and say, okay, what about the Ukrainian side? The Ukrainian side not only is being very brave, but they're also being quite successful in a lot of ways. One, we talk about the failure of the counteroffensive, but the Russians also have failed in their counteroffensive mm -hmm. uh, with a much larger force, much superior force, well dug in defensive forces, as we know from World War I, trench warfare, defensive forces have an advantage, but they have so far failed to change the balance along that thousand kilometer line. Meanwhile, Russia has uh, started to pay more of a cost. Mr. Putin wins in part because not only does he lull us into long-term uh, uh, lack of resistance, but at home, nobody's paying the cost at home. He's hidden this war from the people of Russia. Uh, the many, many soldiers that are dying, we huge numbers of Russian troops lost. They're not actually ethnic Russians. They're from the minority areas. The ethnic Russian central population, St. Petersburg to Moscow, has not been paying a cost. Now the war is being brought home by pinprick, uh, but effective countermeasures inside Russia itself. Crimea is now being put in play. Uh, the bastion, the bastion for Russia is their, their hold on Crimea. And the goal of right now, the main goal right now of this war is to break Crimea away from Russian control. There's now activity daily. The, the Ukrainians are saying, we have a new plan for the Russian military. They're all going to be, uh, the Navy, they're all going to be part of the submarine force because they've been so successful actually in sinking uh, major uh, components of the Black Sea fleet of the Russians. So the Ukraine is showing enormous strength and, and durability, ingenuity and uh, effectiveness in ways which I don't think they get the credit for as we talk about, well, they're really going to have to get up uh, parts of their territory, aren't they? They have to settle. We cannot allow that thinking to prevail in 2024. Well, and uh, we can circle back to the politics of it, too, because the political voices that are suggesting that is a, is a viable alternative, though their words, not ours. Uh, are, are one step away from, from gaining power in some of those countries, and that's that's somewhat problematic. Uh, you mentioned about the, you know our attention gets swayed, and 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 obviously the Gaza situation is is I guess what's uh, taking up a lot of the oxygen right now when we start talking about global conflicts, and justifiably so. Uh, the United States initially, of course, after the initial slaughter uh, by by the, the the rebels and the troops that were went across the border and killed so many uh, Israelis. Uh, strong support from President Biden and from a number of other countries as well. Uh, but as this drags on, and and I, just to use your point about how politics and and and, and conflict can be so interwoven, uh, it seems to me now 
that this the, the longer this this conflict goes on, the longer this shelling of of Gaza goes on, it's Netanyahu seems to think it's to his benefit. Uh, that that shows that he's the strong man. He's he's supporting uh, his country and he's he's defending them. Uh, interest uh, and, and support, I guess, has, has waned considerably over the last little while because of the methodology. Yet he continues to do this. Uh, uh, at what point do, do, does does the world and the global community stand back and saying, "Look, at we support Israel and we support Israel's right to defend their bomb," but there's there's a fine line between supporting it and and basically obliterating a people in in Gaza. Well, it's you know, Mr. Putin is saying, uh, just just we'll stand by, we'll win by just our plan is we will outlast the West. Yeah. We can endure pain. What's going on now is that we are in, uh, the three phases of Hamas's strategy are, is working. Uh, their first phase is they go in and commit an atrocity. Um, and then the uh, second phase is the Israelis have to retaliate. The third phase is the world leans on Israel to stop, allowing them to reconstitute and to do it all again. Uh, Anthony Blinken, and it's working brilliantly. Anthony Blinken has said, we know better. It's not going to happen. The Secretary of State of the U.S., we know that's their strategy. We aren't going to let it succeed this time, but it's very difficult to not let that strategy succeed. Uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization designated since 2002 in December by Canada and by most of the rest of the world. Not Turkey, interestingly, but most of the rest of the world uh, considers Hamas a terrorist organization. Israel was traumatized and shown to be vulnerable, traumatized in ways which I don't think is is uh, currently being understood any longer because suddenly, because the strategy worked so well for Hamas. Now, oh, look what's happening to, to the Gazans. These are Hamas's involuntary martyrs as part of their strategy. And it's working, uh, unfortunately, far too well. There's way too many casualties there. Everybody wants it. I want it to stop. Everybody wants it to stop. But leaving Hamas in position then to just reconstitute and do it again is in nobody's interest in the West, certainly not in Canada's interest and not in Canada's policy either, although there's been some questioning of that. So the window for Israel always closes. Uh, the attack happens, the response happens, Israel's leaned on because once they respond, what the world sees is the devastation inside Gaza and focuses only on that narrowly and strictly. It also factors into the much broader, long, long, long-standing uh, Palestinian-Israeli uh, confrontation and well-organized groups that are always there now are using this as if as if Hamas wants a two-state solution. They're not interested in a two-state solution. They're interested in the elimination of Israel. Standing back further from that and looking forward into the future, I think we have to also realize the degree to which Iran is, is, is the primary fa factor sure, in all of sure. this. And we are omitting that. And we are because of our justifiable concern with the day-to-day -day terrible, horrible images coming out of, Hama, uh, out of Gaza, uh, Iran really, uh, I think, initiated this. Uh, they provided the training. They provided the military means. They also, I think, provided the timing. Israel had gotten itself into an internal domestic mess, invited adventurism. Hamas is uh, clearly just uh, big su uh, supported by Iran. I hope that 2024 is the year when Iran comes into focus for their role, because it isn't simply a Palestinian-Gaza issue, an Israel issue. It's also in Lebanon. This is not a Palestinian issue. 
it's an Iranian-supported terrorist organization imposing its will on the population, as Hamas does in Gaza, and back home in Iran, where once again, the Ayatollah's regime has, with great violence, put down the most recent uprising against them. Mm -hmm. They're on a roll. Iran wants to push America out of the Middle East. Russia wants to help on that. And a lot of what we see in front of us is the great game, not the particular game. Until I start seeing protesters in the streets saying Hamas out of Gaza, Hezbollah out of Lebanon, the Ayatollahs out of Iran, I don't think we're facing seriously the nature of the great game that's going on. And that is leading to so many deaths and instability. The instability of the world in 2024 is centering primarily, I think, on what Iran is doing along with Russia. And we haven't even talked about China's role in what might happen in Taiwan as we exactly. go forward. Well, they, they're watching this right now. And then clearly what's happened over the last 18 months would, would embolden them. And I guess Xi can play the waiting game there too. But the, the, the debate has become so polarized uh, that, that even, you know, as I made a statement, I'm sure me and many, many others have said, look at, uh, I am pro-Israeli, but I'm not in favor of the decimation of, of Palestinians. Uh, I'm anti-Hamas. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to see this happen. I, I, I support the, the, the elimination of Hamas, but do you do it by just leveling the whole country? Uh, you know, the tens of thousands of people that have died in this conflict now, uh, I, I'm going to wager right now, Elliot, they're not all Hamas. And we know that to be true. I'm not trying to be cynical here, and I'm not trying to be fl flippant, but there are an awful lot of innocent people. I don't know why innocent people always die in these sorts of conflicts. But, you know, if there's a Hamas headquarters under a hospital and there's 300 people in the hospital, do you just bomb the crap out of it and kill the 300 people and hope that you get a few Hamas soldiers too? Where's the discussion about the role that Hamas has? And for those people that are rallying in downtown Toronto and Hamilton and Ottawa no, and other places that are saying, you know, free, free Palestine, free them from what? From, from Hamas? Because they don't seem to say that. They don't make that distinction. The, the crap that was going on and the shit that was falling down on Palestinians from Hamas has been going on for years, long before this started, this latest income. But nobody seems to want to talk about that, nor bring it into the conversation. They want to make Israel to be the bad guys and the Palestinians to be the, the victims. And, and that's true to a point. But there's a third player in here that they don't want to talk about. Yes, this, as I put it, this is part of the Hamas playbook. It's yeah. played out brilliantly. It's almost inevitable. And indeed, uh, one never hears the word Hamas in all of this conversation. These are, as I put it, involuntary martyrs to the Hamas cause. Uh, it's, pre, it's as meticulously planned as was the initial attack is what's going on as we see in front of us, keeping in mind that the field commanders are the ones up above, uh, but the, uh, the operative commanders, the more senior commanders are down in those tunnels, hidden away, and the political leadership, which can actually call a hen an end to this, by releasing hostages, among other things, they are not living anywhere near there. They are living in glorious, uh, splendid, uh, luxurious headquarters in Qatar and is over back into Turkey, back and forth. Uh, they are paying no cost at all on this. And this war will continue until, um, until such time as Hamas itself has, uh, decides uh, we've had enough. Israel has been traumatized in ways which I, I think is underestimated by all of this. And the hostage situation is putting pressure on any government. Mm -hmm. So uh, until Hamas, as our uh, foreign secretary said, as uh, Zolia said, until Hamas is removed as a governing force and military threat, 
uh, this war is likely to continue. What about the other player here? And I'm talking about uh, Netanyahu himself. Yes. Uh, he's a, uh, and this is not an anti-Israeli guy. He's a bad guy. Uh, he government corruption. He's facing more charges. Uh, he, he tried. We talked about Trump. If he gets reelected, is going to move into a totalitarian force uh, and form of government. Netanyahu's already made that first step. Now the courts shot down a lot of what he's trying to do there, yeah. but it's very much of an authoritarian government. The, I, I get the sense, Elliot. There's no way Netanyahu's going to agree to any sort of a negotiated peace here. He just wants to obliterate Hamas, and I don't disagree with that sentiment. Uh, but realistically, how many people are going to have to die and, and how long is this going to take? Uh, I, one commentator I saw on one of the, sh the U.S. shows the other day said this isn't going to end until Netanyahu is removed from office or is, is voted out, whatever the case might be. Uh, this is not the first conflict, again, since 1948 when Israel was, was formed by the United Nations. Uh, whether it's the Seven Day War, whether it's the, there's a, a long list of these conflicts, they are usually negotiated settlements. Now they don't last long, unfortunately, but it is a way for people to get around the table and come to some conclusion. I don't see that happening here with the pre present players. I don't think anybody wants to sit across the table from each other. Yes, keep an eye on Egypt. They traditionally, ultimately, are the ones that arrange and broker uh, something that really lasts. And there has been a transformation. Uh, the countries that took part in those earlier wars, came to terms with the fact uh, we're not going to achieve mm -hmm. our goals of eliminating Israel. We attacked them uh, during their most holy days. We attacked them when they're not watching. They turn around and, and win the, those wars. Uh, we can go into a lot of the details. I don't think pinning this on the personality of Mr. Netanyahu as the primary cause of the continuation of this conflict is, is accurate. It's, it's certainly Mr. Netanyahu and his... Um, political military problems, his problems of, you know, the court case, you can argue that he's, he's uh, his, his preoccupation with staying out of jail is certainly one cause of the internal dissent within Israel, the, the primary cause, because uh, he made deals with the far right in order to uh, sustain himself by protecting himself against the courts. And it's a long, long story. But the point is, is that Mr. Netanyahu had to, if he's replaced by Benny Gantz, the war against Hamas is going to continue, uh, no matter who's in charge in Israel. The atrocities that were committed, the fact that terrorism, just it's a recurring phenomenon. Uh, the Israelis can't live with that, nor should they be. No, no country should uh, have to live with that. So, yes, Mr. Netanyahu is a polarizing figure. I'm not, a, I'm not going to comment one way or another. I'm, I, I'm not a voter in Israel. He's now at 7% support in the, in the polls, and uh, Benny Gantz is only at 34%. Uh, Israel is not heading toward authoritarianism. Uh, it is a, an overly vibrant, overly dynamic democracy. Yeah. That's why they have four elections in four years and so forth. But uh, this is not, this war we're seeing in Gaza right now and how it's being conducted is strictly because of, of Hamas, not because of Mr. Netanyahu. Any leader of Israel would have to respond. The alternatives I've been watching very carefully. How are we going to get out of this? The very best minds, uh, say Friedman and the New York Times, they talk about, about solutions that veer on wishful thinking. Uh, yes, definitely. The PA, the Palestinian Authority, is going to come back into Gaza. Well, uh, okay. Uh -oh. That's uh, not going to happen. Uh, but it has to be rejuvenated. A rejuvenated and reinvigorated. Well, that means 
the current leadership has to agree to disappear and they in due course a brand new more peace loving more competent less corrupt leadership is going to come in we're talking about uh, that would be nice <laughs> uh i the, my 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 central point here is nobody know what's to do about nobody wants gaza uh, the egyptians don't want them the arab states around them are saying don't count on us to bring in peacekeeping forces we don't want them egypt most emphatically will not accept them uh so gaza is um in need of a democratic uh future rest the government has to rest not on hamas terrorism but on the elected representatives of the people of gaza and that's what we have to look forward to there's some uh, historic precedent uh, the united nations and cambodia is the one i look to yeah. but um uh, right now we are into a terrible impassable uh, situation where hamas needs to be eliminated everybody agrees on that except you know hamas and but meanwhile the whole western the whole arab world is being inflamed so we are into a long term um a situation where again i will circle back saying 2024 should be the year where the role of iran back backstopped by uh, an increasing uh, uh, an alliance with russia and backstopped quietly by china this and north korea this 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 kind of axis which is emerging needs to come into focus as that's where you have to look for stability going forward uh elliot uh, we'll have to leave it there for the time being but as you say it, it's a very very uh tense situation a very fluid situation and we look forward to future discussions on the podcast with that thanks so much for being with us today i really appreciate it well i hope it's a happy new year uh we do too with your family and and uh and and personally with you and i look forward to being working with you in 2024 bill thanks so much elliot take care uh talking about uh, the international situation we'll do that with elliot and other guests too that's it for this edition of the podcast though thanks so much uh spread the word if you enjoyed this one uh go wherever you get your podcast and check out the bill kelly podcast critical discussions for our critical times till next time take care this podcast was brought to you by rebecca wizens and her team at wizens law Rebecca Wizens is a 20-time winner of the Hamilton Reader's Choice Awards for their exceptional client care and legal practice specializing in personal injury, car accidents, accidental falls, and Wilson Estates. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured, or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with a will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wizens, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. When life happens, you can rely on Rebecca Wizens on Wizens Law. And trust me, Rebecca is my wife, and I don't know what I'd do without her. That's Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. Subscribe to my Substack for timely news updates and commentary straight to your inbox. Let's keep the conversation going. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Let me know what you think we should be talking about next by contacting me through my website at www.billkelly.co. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bill Kelly. Till next time, you take care.